Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the weekly podcast that features the very best in productivity and professional development in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Pat McDowell, and glad to help you on your journey towards senior leadership in the charitable world. Thanks for listening and for your encouragement. Glad to bring you these weekly conversations with nonprofit leaders who continue to be very generous in sharing their stories. This episode is a great example of that generosity, but it also translates into wonderfully practical advice. My conversation was with Dr. Jay Dowd, who serves as the president and CEO of the Citadel Foundation in Charleston, South Carolina. Jay continues to have a stellar career in the higher education space, having led four different university advancement teams during his tenure. And as you can imagine, he's gained much wisdom but is eager to share it in ways that will help you on your journey, too. We talked about some of the critical advice he received as a young vice president, you know, the first time he was in a senior leadership position. And he also talks about how he built and utilized his professional network and evaluated graduate education along the way. And finally, we talked about how he and his team have been so very successful in fundraising even during a pandemic, with a relatively small alumni base. It's impressive, and I think it'll give you some ideas that you can utilize as well. Well, don't forget to check out the show notes for this episode. It's number 61. Just go to the podcast or the news page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll find all of the resources, links, and books, as well as more information on Jay and the great work he's doing at the Citadel Foundation. Speaking of resources, you might want to stay on our website, connect with us. Let us know how we can help you or your nonprofit with its strategy, its fundraising, or perhaps you personally on your professional journey through our coaching and training programs. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Jay Dowd. Jay, thanks for joining me on the path. Pat, thanks for having me. Looking forward to our discussion. I'm excited to have this conversation. I've known you for a long time. You've done great work in nonprofit, in particular, the higher education space. And so I'm eager to learn kind of the lessons you've learned when you got started, how you've kind of moved up the ladder. And now that you're in a senior leadership role, these are lessons I know that'll benefit our listeners. But why don't we start with that, Jay? Why did you get into the kind of work you're doing now? Yeah. And before I answer that, Pat, I, I think I owe it to you a compliment and a congratulatory statement of all you're doing in the nonprofit space and, and, and your passion. And not only for uh, those of us in the profession and you uh, and your team there at, at the Pat McDowell Associates, but also the networking and all you're doing to try to continue to provide a platform for professional development for our aspiring professionals. So I think that's so important as we've got to make sure that we continue to provide leadership in an area of growing our own, so to speak, and right. what you're doing yeah. with these podcasts, but also with all of your professional development educational programs you're doing through your, through your company. Uh, big kudos to you and, and thanks for doing that. It's Much important. appreciated, Jay. Thank you. And, uh, but yeah, likewise, uh, appreciate what you've done for the sector and, and, Again, uh, curious, as I asked many of our guests, so why did you first get into this game? Yeah, it was interesting for me. So I did my um, undergraduate uh, uh, work at Winthrop College, then now Winthrop University. 
And while uh, a student there, I, I was involved in a lot of many things. I, I had the uh, privilege of being a student athlete, played baseball in college. While there also were, were involved, several uh, student activity programs to include a student alumni council, which is where I really became, at first became familiar with alumni work and, and development work. And, and knew that I wanted to, to work in higher ed. My thought was, is I was going to work in area Greek life and was going to be a student affairs professional. And as I was entering my internship phase of my master's degree at the University of South Carolina um, in Greek life, it became very apparent that that was not a, uh, a particularly well-suited career path for me. And I went back and met with my graduate school advisor who basically uh, said to me, um, I knew you would come to your senses, Mr. Dow, <laughs> and, uh, and that's not where you would want to be. He said, you, you need to be in development work. And I've already spoken to the vice president for advancement here at the University of South Carolina uh, about you. And um, here's his name and phone number. Uh, give him a call. Wow. And you hate to say it bad. And that, you know, that's before email, right? <laughs> so yeah, I want to yeah. get around. You actually picked up the phone and called someone. And, uh, and I did an intern. And from there, I took off. And, and I think there are a couple lessons there. One, never uh, underestimate who you uh, confide in and who you have uh, uh, confidence in, in leading you in your network, Indeed. right? And how certain people in certain decision points in our life really make a difference in what we do and how we do it. That's so well put. And well, we'll get into this, but I take it you knew quickly that advancement work was where you needed to be. Was it that quick or did it take time to kind of grow into it, so to speak? Uh, no, it was, it was fairly quick. And, and what I have always believed in, even when I thought I may be going down a different career path, um, is, is to build a network and to begin finding and, and emulating people who I really respected in the field and who I felt could benefit me, not only from um, a, a practical experience standpoint, but from a, um, a moral and a uh, leadership um, development standpoint as well. So I, I developed a network very quickly in, uh, in my advancement track. Um, I, that obviously helped me get my uh, first job in higher education. Um, and, and so it was a pretty, it was pretty quick for me in realizing that I had and had landed in an area that I felt that one, I could serve the sector well, and two, um, was fulfilled personally and professionally by it. Yeah, it's well put. And of course you reinforce the point of having a good network and people you trust and believe in who frankly knew you at that time, maybe in a way better than you did, right? That you would be a fit for this kind of work. And clearly you have excelled ever since. We'll talk about that. Uh, but I do want to ask you another question I'm asking our guests is leading organizations during a pandemic obviously is a bit tricky. Um, how have you managed to stay organized and kind of adapt to what has been more of a virtual environment? Yeah. One of the things that we talk a, a lot about with our team or our senior team at the Citadel Foundation through uh, the, the remainder of our team. And our team, we have about 42 uh, professionals. Uh, I think it is, it, it may be 43 actually right now. And, and one of the things, when we went into this, um, it was very important to me and to our senior team that everyone understood what we were doing, where we were facing, where we were tracking. And we never um, 
we never lost sight of the importance of empathy, not only for our team, because as I shared that we have a moral responsibility to ourselves and to our constituents that first of all, health and well-being is, is paramount, right? And that there will be a time when we can re-engage discussions around philanthropic support right. and, and what our constituents may or may want to do. That right now is not this time. And this, we're talking in the March timeframe. Yeah, really right, when it first started, kind right. of, right. So, <clears throat> and, and then getting our board um, to that point and understanding, and of course, our, I really um, have such a, a fine board and a good relationship with, with our board is to be able to talk with our board leadership and to say, look, I think we need to tap the brakes. I think what we need now is to be communicating is that the Citadel's mission is still the same as we're still educating, you know, roughly 2,300 young folks in the South Carolina Corps cadets. We're going to get back in this, but right now we need to focus internally on our team, making sure everybody's healthy there. And then what is the plan going forward? So a lot of what we did is we bought ourselves time patent, which I right. think was really important. Right. We did, we were continuing to communicate. The, the mission is the mission, right? I've, I've, I've shared that so many times with so many colleagues around the country and some of my friends who are, are not in higher ed, but in nonprofit work. The mission is the mission that doesn't deviate. And what does deviate is how you communicate what you're doing on the mission and the successes in the mission and what you're doing in, in terms of how you are having empathy with those constituents, because everybody was certain. We're writing the playbook and running the plays at the same time, and that's never a good outcome. Right, right. And, and so you have to be able to, buy, be able to, to really say, all right, um, by, one of the great quotes I love from Tolstoy is, two of the greatest um, warriors of all time are patience and time. Right. And so when you buy yourself patience and you buy yourself time because you're collecting data, you're collecting information, you're able to control your timelines of what and how you want to deliver information. We're so customer service oriented that we rush to a decision or yes. We rush yes. to, to, to have an intended outcome. And more oftentimes than not, that will lead to a maybe not a good outcome. Right. It's the reverse of what we want. And so we talked a lot about that, about what do we do in taking our time? What do we do about making sure that we understand what our people are looking for and, and how they're going about their business? And that, that mattered for us. And we had good nice. success. And, had, and the response and the feedback we got was very positive. Well, and, and so empathy and flexibility certainly were hallmarks of your kind of leadership at that point. And did you literally adjust goals, Jay? Obviously, as fundraisers, there's lots of goals and metrics that people are driven by. But when you say you put on the brakes, was that an opportunity to step back and, and literally adjust some of those metrics by which your and your team are judged? Not at uh, not at the beginning, and we and we have not to date. And okay. I think it goes back to is again, let's don't be rushed to make a decision. Let's don't be rushed to immediately think that we need to adjust. Right. What I did was communicate to the board is we're evaluating and we're assessing that this goes along. And my commitment to the board was I will keep you updated. If I, if I see or sense or the team sees or sense that we've got a, uh, a misdirection and where we're going with goals or outputs or feedback, you'll be the first to know and we'll adjust at that time. But I said, 
right now we're, we're marching. We're, we're going to figure out how we continue to deliver the mission in a virtual environment. And as I've said to our team often is, I want to know who's doing the best at what they're doing in a virtual environment right now. And let's figure it out and let's emulate that. Nice. And share that and, and, and continue to develop in, in the dialogues. And we had a lot of people continue to have a lot of people and were complimented by this become the Citadel Foundation and asking us, how have you maintained success? Because we're really in this environment, we're having a, a great deal of success and we're, uh, we're tracking numbers that uh, based on the last 10 years um, only trail behind two years when we that's, were in a campaign. So it's that's remarkable. Well, and, and I want to come back to that, Jay, because that clearly everyone's wondering if they can continue to do what they've done historically in this virtual environment. Clearly you have found uh, some of those uh, elements <laughs> that make it work. But let me go back to the beginning, if I could, Jay, when you yeah. first started, you know, you've been doing this for a couple of decades now. And do you remember those times when you first started, what were, were there surprises or were there key elements of advice that you got that helped you kind of quickly be successful? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I share with you a couple of examples. Um, uh, first of all, I've, I've been very fortunate in my career to, to be in positions of uh, where timing was really good for me and to assume a leadership role as a vice president at, at a private school in North Carolina at the age of 28 um, and, and go there. But one of the first lessons I learned was um, everyone wants to have a part in being of a successful operation or a team. And what I mean right. by that is right. so much in, in development work in particular, we get focused around uh, major gifts and things with, with a lot of commas and zeros. And everyone has the ability to contribute. And, and the example I would share with you, which has stuck with me um, for almost 30 years now is we were running a campaign and we were going into the a faculty staff component of it and uh, communicating what the case statement was and why this was important and all. And so I went uh, particularly to, and met with our facilities and engineering team and <clears throat> was not, it, you know, it was not about um, an expectation. It was a gift. It was more about an expectation of, you know, what you do is really important for this campus. Nice. You need to understand what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so after I did that and, and spoke about the campaign, I had a long time um, custodian of the institution um, come into my office. Um, and she was of the uh, generation who would take a paycheck and go to the business office, cashier's office, have it cashed and, and, and take that home with her. And she came into my office and she uh, asked me, um, could she speak with me? Of course. I said, yeah, absolutely. Please sit down. You know, how are you doing? Et cetera. Pleasantries. And she reached in her uh, row and she pulled out a $50 bill and she asked me if I could get her change for that for $25 back. Wow. Because she wanted to make sure she did her part. And, and I've used that example a lot for particularly young professionals, uh, Patton, because I think it really drives home is don't lose sight that everybody wants to participate and everybody has a role. We all challenge each other differently. And yes, they're major gifts and they're annual gifts and playing all of the things that we do, but never lose sight that everyone wants to participate and take part. And that's that good important. advice. That's, 
And, and then I would say that the next key for me, you know, along this, this journey, Patton, is I just, um, my network, I referenced it earlier in our, in our talk, but um, having a network and, and having been surrounded by um, really strong leaders in my career presence, particularly that, that I've looked up to and had phenomenal relationships wherever I've gone, um, that's very important because mentorship and a network um, are probably two of, well, they're very important, of undervalued resources that we right. have because we all get busy. We all have families or, uh, or you know, personal things we love to do. And it's, it's, it takes work and it's, uh, it's an effort. But I will tell you, for me personally, mentorship and a network have, have been uh, significant factors in not only my success in my career professionally, but I've met some of the finest people in the field and people who are dear friends to this day. Uh, and Joe, you've been a fantastic networker. I can uh, speak to that personally, but I, I'm curious, is it, um, it, you're just one that will pick up the phone and call. Do, do you have kind of a, I guess, an organized method to how you keep up with all these contacts and associations and, you know, each month do you make a point to kind of reach out or is it one just that happens almost organically? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. I would say, um, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, maybe Patton, that the effort was a bit more, um, right. pick up the phone, stay in touch this day and time with social media, uh, texting, um, you know, where I am career wise and, and the level of the associations I'm on, you know, I'm on the, um, privileged to be on the U S Canada council now for, for case, uh, invited yeah. to participate in a foundation leadership group with association of governing boards and so the network then you know is created uh, by meetings and and constant communication and in, involved versus years ago you'd pick up the phone and say hey pat and how are you or you know you call do it yourself don't you? what's going on hey i'm trying to do this what do you think about that right so it's uh, it's developed into a little bit easier i think a uh, process to network now because the platforms are so much more user-friendly and just excellent. Yeah, excellent. But early on, you were good and you had to be more intentional because you maybe didn't have the natural associations that you've earned, frankly, and have now. And that's what I think is impressive in terms of uh, professional development networking. Um, let me ask yeah, you this. I think, too, Pat, yeah. I think too, to your point about early on, it is we have brand responsibility in what we do for our organizations as well. And what do you mean by that? Yeah. What I mean is participation right. at, at, a, at a professional association level, uh, participation with your colleagues, getting, because they will associate um, the level or their, their perception of the organization with you. I mean, that, that they may not know anything else about, my friends now may not know anything else about the Soto or the Soto Foundation. Right, they right. Know me. And so their opinion of me then helps brand development and then also the organization expands because I would say I've been with institutions that before I arrived, they didn't do anything with professional associations. They didn't attend conferences. Good they point. didn't know anything about their colleagues. And I said, that's not responsible professionalism. That's because such a good you point. You can't do this in a cocoon. 
but some institutions, Jay, I would imagine they view professional development as, well, that's just helping Jay out. But your point is no, Jay's professional development also lifts up this institution. So through my avenues of professional development, I've had uh, our previous president, uh, Lieutenant General John Rosa here at the Citadel, retired Air Force three-star general, fighter pilot, great American, um, named CEO of Case District 3, CEO of the year, wow. keynote speaker, right? That just doesn't happen because you don't have a network and people don't understand the organization, right? Uh, I've had other presidents. You remember when you and I had the, the privilege of working on a program for a case conference we had uh, Dr. Fred Carter from Francis Marion come in and speak. Right, right. right. Those are positions where you're placing members of your organization into speaking roles and things and introducing them to colleagues across the country who may not always know what your organization or what your mission is. And that's when I talk about brand development. That's part of the whole process of what we do and how we do it. Love that. And I just think that's such a good and new perspective, I would imagine, for some about professional development and the opportunity to leverage your institution in ways that you perhaps otherwise could not. Um, so I'm delighted to hear you lift that up. And let me ask you this, Jay, I'm, I'm bouncing around a little bit, but um, now that you're hiring and have had to hire a lot of talented people, are there certain characteristics you're looking for? You know, I guess as you reflect back on what made you successful climbing the ladder, so to speak. Are there certain characteristics you look for when you're hiring? Yeah, and, and we know you have to be a little bit more uh, conscientious depending on the position you're hiring from and the skill sets, but going into any hire, and, um, and, and this is how I've coached our team at the Citadel Foundation is, um, I, everybody wants experience, I get that. I want experience. But what I really want is you give me someone with integrity, initiative, intellect, uh, and a sense of humor. I can coach them to almost do anything I need them to do. Right, right. Those key subsets and characteristics or traits, whatever you want to call them, Patton, I can't coach those. Those, those are intangibles. Those are inherent uh, you know, abilities to be successful. Um, I, can, I can help someone understand how to, to put a gift agreement together or how to present a proposal or how to properly acknowledge someone or steward an event, all those things. Right. But integrity, intellect, initiative, and a sense of humor. I can't, I can't, it's hard to coach those if they're not inherent. And so I really, in, in my hiring practices now, and of course, you know, I've got a lot of years under me um, in doing this. Those are, those are keys for me. And, and like I said, you give me someone with that I, and, and, and wants to be a part of the organization, um, we, we can, we can have, have them be successful and help them be successful. I love that, Jay. And I, so if I'm interviewing with you, I'm a candidate, obviously I'd be smart to lift up examples that would demonstrate some of those characteristics, or is it very important my references lift those things up? I'm just curious, yeah, how, and you just have, I'm sure, an intuition when you're meeting with someone, but... I wonder how you might evaluate some of those key characteristics. Yeah. So I would say is more often than not, um, I will know someone who knows that candidate or something about that candidate, whether yeah, it be the point. primary references or secondary references. And you have to be respectful and careful of that process. I get that. But I, um, I will ask for specific examples 
of show me something that or and tell me something or illustrate something for me that when you arrived in your current position that you felt could be tweaked to be better or that wasn't being done and you put this in place. All right, there's your initiative. Show me, tell me about a, a, a time where you may have been in a situation that you, it made you uncomfortable and how did you deal with it? And nice. what was the outcome for that? Yep. You know, again, getting them talking about these certain things. I want to know what, what folks do for fun. Tell me what's your hobbies. Tell me what you like to do outside of the out. Cause what we do is stressful and, yes. and there's yes. a lot of travel and there's, it can be, you know, um, you got to have outlets and, you know, so it's a, it's a big picture, holistic, who you are composition of when I'm hiring someone. That's fantastic. And an absolute checklist, frankly, for someone pondering nonprofit leadership, because we're all going to have to go through those type of interview settings. And that's such good advice to help prepare. Um, and, and, and let me mention one thing. And for us, particularly where we're located in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, which is, you know, one of the greatest cities in, in the world. The, when they, and, and I see this with particularly younger professionals yep. who are is one of the first things they may say is, well, you know, I really want to live in Charleston. Uh, that will, that, that, or I want to live in Charlotte or I want to let you just wherever, Ed, wherever the organization, don't ever come out that this is the first thing I want to do. I know that, right? Good I, point. I, but I want to know you want to be a part of the mission and you want to be a part of the team and that the job matters no matter where the organization is located. And, and that is, that's a difficult thing for what I've seen with younger professionals in our hiring process. And our team knows that if that's one of the first things that comes out, that usually is a, is a, is a wastebasket file. It's a red flag. It's a red flag. And if I just want to go to Charleston and I haven't convinced you of your organization, right. As my main attraction. Yeah. Uh, great points, Jay. Thank you for that. And again, love how you blend your journey with now how you're reflecting it on others. Speaking of your journey, you have been very disciplined and followed a very impressive graduate education path. I wonder if you could talk about that, your pursuit both of a master's and a PhD and how it's affected your career. Yeah, well, and, and so I, being a native South Carolinian, feel very fortunate to have uh, a program of distinction in higher ed administration in all, at the University of South Carolina here in right, right. So both from the master's program, which I knew I needed to pursue to be able to take the step um, and, and get into higher education because I've always felt, understand, respect. Higher education is a industry about credentials and credentials matter. Um, and, and as I developed my career in my leadership and, 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 and with my mentors um, from gosh, back in the nineties when I was with uh, Dr. Elfin Hendricks at Methodist university until I was, you know, with Dr. Fred Carter at France Marion, they were all saying, you know, if you're going to want to have a chance to, to be a college university president, and we hope you would pursue that, you're going to have to have that PhD. Uh, and, and that's a very important step. And that's where I go back to saying, if you get part of a right team and you're with the right mentor and you've got that relationship, <clears throat> you can achieve even greater things that might not even be just within your regular day-to-day -day work. And that was the case for me with the PhD pursuit 
and working at Francis Marion and, uh, and, and with Dr. Carter and, you know, had to work, I worked full time. I had two young children at the time. Um, it was a family decision and, you know, basically was driving to Columbia two nights a week, working full time, but it was what I needed to do to have a ticket to the best seat in the house if I choose to pursue that. And, and what I will, and I'm, I talk, I'm talking to several members of our team at the Soto Foundation right now about doctoral education. And what I would say to any uh, of your listeners, and, and I'm available to, to discuss this with, with, with anyone, is you need to think, what is my outcome? Where do I want to go professionally? If, if you just say, you know, I, I'm extremely comfortable being a major gift officer uh, for a nonprofit or in higher ed or whatever, you, you, you most likely you, you're not going to want that time and energy spent on a doctoral degree. Right. If you want to pursue a vice president's role in higher ed, or you want to be president CEO of a nonprofit, again, depending on the mission, you, you may want to think about a doctoral degree and those credentials because it's going to separate you as you move up in leadership responsibilities of positions. It's things like, um, degrees, graduate education that can separate you from other candidates. And, and ultimately, I think that's where people need to decide is what is, and it's so apropos to your podcast, Patton, is what is my path? Right, right. And if the path to leadership is about credentials or thinks it's going to set me apart, there are many ways to do that. And there are many programs to do that and, uh, and be a part of that. But for me, it was it was very important to have the credentials if I chose to take the next step in my career. Yep, well put. And it was, as you say, an intentional kind of planning process and one you have followed successfully. But you're not suggesting kind of a blind, everybody has to do it either. It's subject to the leadership and their organization. But I do think a lot of nonprofit, particularly those younger in this path, need to consider that graduate education because as you demonstrate, it's a real time commitment and a family commitment and one that needs to be considered. Um, Jay, you know, I I love a book by Keith Ferrazzi called Never Eat Alone. And he talks about professional networking and associations, which you alluded to. And I'll ask you another question. But his point is, you know, it's one thing, don't just be a member of an association like Case, for example, get involved, be a leader. And I've noticed, you know, I don't know if you just naturally have gravitated to lead a committee or lead an initiative or lead a program, but um, that appears to be a path you've taken to to even better network. Is that something you consciously kind of approached? Yeah, I, I did. And, and part of it is my personality. It, 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 the one thing that I've discovered, particularly over the last five to, to 10 years, that the one thing that I, I don't have enough of, and we don't have enough, is time. And if I'm going to to willingly participate uh, and give up of my time from my family and from the things that I love to do outside of work and, and from my colleagues who depend on me and whom I care deeply for, um, I'm going to be involved and I'm going to participate at the, the level where I believe I can provide uh, service and that I could add value. Nice. And that's one of my, my key statements that when I, when I'm privileged to, to be asked to, to participate on these 
councils or boards or whatever. I asked, I said, where, where do you, can I add value and help me understand what, what do you need and how can I help you in that process? And, and I make decisions a lot, even, you know, with volunteers on nonprofit boards and I'm on is, is what is the add value? Because time is very important. Nice. Um, and, and, and so for me, personality wise, I've never felt like I'm going to, to go and serve without knowing exactly how I can and to take a leadership role within that. And again, some of that's personality, but it's very important for me to, to be a part of, uh, the, the outcome and directing the, uh, directing those outcomes. I love that. And, and I think too many of us, frankly, would just show up and, and we're just in the audience, so to speak. And you're showing up with that question. All right, if I'm going to be here, what can I do to add value? And I've got to believe that is uh, well received by many of these associations you've worked with. And it sounds like that's what you'd advise others, right? If, if we're going to send you to case or AFP or anything else, we want you to get involved. Exactly. And, and I encourage, um, when, when we go and I do this still, I do it with either my board chair at the foundation or even with our president was when I go off to do something professionally, uh, whether it be case or AGB or ask you, whatever, you get all the acronyms that are out there as I come back and I, I set a time and I sit down and I say, all right, here's some hot button items that's out there in the field right now. Nice. And this is nice. what we've talked about and this is what others are doing. And this is what I heard from my colleague X at, you know, this school. And I think what that does is it reinforces the time and money well spent. Right. But it also, you're engaging, um, you're engaging your leadership in the thought processes of, of navigating them where you want them to be thinking. Right. And you want them to be directing their, their thoughts in terms of this is what we need to do to be, be having success in philanthropy or, you know, mission um, driven outcomes. And I think I, I, I believe that's a very important thing to do. Yeah. Love that. And if we're going to invest in those types of opportunities, let's bring that knowledge and intelligence back. And, and I love that you're creating that space for that type of discussion. Uh, Jay, let's move into your senior role. You, you've achieved a presidential kind of a CEO spot. Anything surprise you? when you got there for those folks thinking, gosh, I hope to get there someday now that you're in the big chair, so to speak, uh, any, any observations about it? Yeah, I think, um, it's always difficult at times to transition from being colleague to, you know, the, the boss, if you right. Right. And what I've always tried to do for my leadership style, Pat, is, is, you know, we're here at all, open door policy, come and speak to you, but to really reinforce that you're approachable, reinforce that you want to hear ideas and things because particularly in a, in a, in an organization like we are, the Citadel Foundation and working in a culture like we do with a military school, it's, it's very um, military in the protocols, right? And you don't just necessarily jump, you know, around a, a VP in our organization and come straight to the president CEO, but we do have ways to do that and encourage to do that. So that a surprise would be for me was the, the, the protocol process of when I got here to the Citadel and, and how we worked through that. Right. The second surprise I would say is I, is I've been able to achieve these leadership roles 
is just how much fun it is. Is I I have so much fun in my role. Good. And, and Good. I do so because one is I get to I get to build I have built a great team and I have a wonderful set of colleagues. But I also get to meet and work with incredible people across the country. And and I think that oftentimes we get so focused on achievement and goals and metrics and things is that you know it really can be a great field and a fun field. And the people we meet meet and work with are some of the the, the really fine people in the country and yeah. want to do great things. And so I think again, just fun. It's just we can't have enough fun in what we do. I love that. And you've created a spirit clearly with your team there and other teams you've created. And I, I, it, I think back to your point of sense of humor uh, as you interview for, and now of course you're creating a culture that people can genuinely enjoy, including yourself, which I think is powerful for a leader. Um, Jay, I got to ask you the question. that's on a lot of listeners' minds. You have a fraction of the alumni base of many higher ed institutions, including in South Carolina, but you're doing remarkably well raising money, even during a pandemic. Tell me how you're doing that. Uh, well, I appreciate, first of all, you recognizing um, the uniqueness about our constituent base. And I just would, for your listeners, you know, we, we've got a little under 25,000 solicitable alums at the Citadel. And we do have a very generous, a very successful uh, constituency base for that. And I think the loyalty uh, is generated while they're students. And I would say it's probably, while somewhat different being the military college atmosphere, um, a residential campus generates a lot of allegiance and, and strong affinity back to the institution. And I think if you look across the country at, at schools with residential campuses, that matters. But right. um, our folks, they give, uh, however we run about, I think right now we're running about 27% alumni giving percentage. Uh, our goal is to get to, to 30. Um, they, they want to see the Citadel successful. They care deeply about the brand. And I think the outcomes and the programs that we have academically sets our young people up when they graduate for success. And I think you see that with the earning powers with all the studies we've got. So while they're small in numbers, they're very strong in affinity and success and, and the charitable uh, slant to give back. And I think we saw that with the campaign we just came out of where we had a 52% alumni giving rate in the campaign we just concluded which wow. is incredible right and and i think it, but but they are passionate and they want to understand and be successful and and one of the things we go back we talked about empathy obviously i'm not a citadel graduate uh there are things that i i will never understand what our graduates went through when they were cadets nor should i and nor obviously to pretend to right but what i can do is listen and appreciate those emotions and the things that are important to them. And uh, in our team, we have a few graduates on our team, but the majority of us are not civil graduates. And the fact that they've been able to do and, and, and show our, our constituents how much they care, I think speaks volumes to the professionals we have at the Citadel Foundation. But it is a unique place. Very Absolutely. Unique. And you articulate it so well, and that speaks volumes that 
I'm curious though, from a tactical perspective, Jay, are you, are you all able to ask for money through kind of Zoom and other virtual environments? How, how has that changed the dynamic? Clearly people are still giving. I'm just curious yeah. what you have done maybe to literally move that along. Well, we have been able to ask uh, for gifts virtually. We've been able to include deans in ASK, other faculty members in ASK to include virtual. We're doing virtual alumni groups and settings. You know, class reunions uh, are a big, uh, big component of our philanthropy platform at the Citadel Foundation. Because right. class matters. If you ever meet a Citadel grad, you see one wearing the ring. First thing you ask is class, and then they ask you about your your battalion or company, right? But it's always class, right? And so reunions matter. So we're we matter of fact, when we started back into the to the alumni engagement solicitation piece, it was through our class reunion committees. And they're the ones who took the lead, said, we're ready to get back. We're ready to start after it. And they would get these virtual meetings set up with different classmates and, and make the ask, which, uh, so it's worked well for us. The, the challenge that we have, Patton, that will, if there's any um, chink in the armor looking ahead coming out of the pandemic, and I would say it's probably for all of us in philanthropy, is the, 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 the discovery visits in trying to do those virtually. Right. Um, you know, that the discovery visits build your pipeline. Your pipeline builds your, you know, your your future gifts and working on how you do that. It is very challenging and we've not figured out that nugget completely yet of how to do discovery visits. And that's one thing we're we're working on now is how can we begin to think about getting back into some in-person meetings and travel from a discovery visit standpoint, because that is going to be a point of criticality for us in two, three, four years out, particularly as we head back into another campaign. Well put, and you're right. You're not the only one I know wrestling with that, And but our pipelines are gonna be hurting um, down the road if we don't find a way to either connect some of these discovery visits through these, it seems to me you've created some environments through alumni gatherings and class gatherings or I guess as you were exploring kind of socially distant ways to get on the road and meet with people. And that's going to be important for sure. It will be. And, you know, and we're still in a position that we're letting our constituents dictate their meeting preference. Yeah. They're, they're willing to meet some are virtual. Some have said, Hey, yeah, let's get together. We can social distance here, there, other, but, I think it's important we continue to allow our constituents to dictate the protocol of where and how we meet. Yeah, lead with that, right, and let them decide. Yeah. Uh, Jay, this has been a treasure trove of advice, you know, for someone, frankly, wherever they are on the path to nonprofit leadership. Is there anything else you might add to or summarize maybe as to advice you'd give someone pondering a career like yours? I I would just say, well, first of all, Pat, let me offer, uh, you know, um, um, you can find me on the website of our foundation uh, here at Citadel, um, LinkedIn, all those things. If there's anything that I can do or, or if there are follow-up questions for any of your uh, our audience, please reach out. I'd be glad to do and, and help in any way I can because I feel very strongly about, um, you know, the mentorship and paying it forward and what we're doing at creating this next generation of, of nonprofit leadership. Um, so let me just offer that to it's you. Fantastic. Your, Thank you. Glad, glad to do that. I, I would just say the last thing is I've had uh, so many opportunities to be with so many people who have chosen to do 
great things with with resources and and two two lessons I would leave you with. One is uh, one of the first major gifts. I don't know if it was it was one hundred fifty thousand um, dollars. I was twenty eight years old and was was signing it. And as the the gentleman, the donor was about to sign the gift agreement, he stopped, looked at me, pulled his pen up, and he goes, "I just have a question for you, Jay." I said, "Yes, sir." He says, "When I sign this." Is it hello or goodbye? Wow. And so I think you, you remember that it is you, you, the key is the after that you close the gift. Yes. And that's stewardship. Yes. Yes. That is so critical. And then the, 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 the second thing I would say is um, someone shared with me one time is that, you know, it's important that we all plant seeds that create shade of trees where everybody else can enjoy that shade. And, and I think that's never lose sight of why we do and what we do, because there are people who depend on that, no matter the mission. And you're in, you're in your organization because you believe in the mission and applaud that, but there are people every day that depend on what we do. And if we haven't seen that during the last six months with this pandemic, um, you know, so it, what we do is hard and it's sometimes when we come to work, it's even more challenging, but at the end of the day, focus on something that makes you realize that you've made a difference because that's, what's going to bring you back the next day. It's beautifully put Jay. And that shade indeed may occur after we're gone. Right. But we're planting something that's going to provide value well beyond even our own professional time. So I think that's just powerful. Um, Jay, give us a parting gift. Is there a book you have read or recommend maybe along this professional development theme? Yeah, you know, I, uh, I, uh, have found, um, books by Doris Kearns Goodwin regarding leadership to to really fit me well. And so her first one on Lincoln and team arrivals, but then her most recent book, um, about leadership in, in turbulent times where she profiles, uh, Lincoln, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, Franklin Roosevelt, and Lyndon Johnson in areas of their time and parts where um, it, resiliency really had to come to play and really finding a way for their, um, you know, not only the moral outcomes and how you bring teams and build teams to get those successful, but I found that leadership in turbulent times was really, really spot on for all of us in leadership positions and uh and highly recommend that and then i just my go-to book i go back often is rick warren's purpose-driven life and 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 really focus in on those so i I would say those two for me are go-to's because i'm sure the audience does not want to know about all the other military history books and everything. That I read about. <laughs> They're as, also on your bedside table. <laughs> but yeah, as my wife says, you have got to find a better area of interest than that. So, um, but anyway, great. So I would, I'd lift those up as two great books and have been for me. Great recommendations, Jay. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much for joining me on the path. My pleasure, Pat, and continue best wishes in, in all of your efforts. Thank you, sir. Well, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Jay as much as I did and came away with some practical ideas that can guide you along your professional journey and enhance your organization's fundraising in particular. Don't forget the show notes are available on our website, patentmcdowell.com, where you can find out more about the Citadel Foundation 
and Jay's great work through CASE and AGB, among other organizations. As always, please share this episode with someone else on the path. If you haven't already, you can subscribe by going to the podcast page at PattonMcDowell.com, and you'll see links to all of the primary podcast platforms. Don't miss out on any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday morning, as well as bonus features we're producing at least once a month. Thanks for all you're doing in the nonprofit sector, especially right now, and keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you. I'll keep bringing you content that can help you do it even better. Have a great week, and I'll see you next time on The Path. 